My name is James Metzger. I'm the lead pastor at Renaissance Bible Church, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning into our podcast. At Ren, we really believe that God's Word is living and active, that God still uses it to form and shape and change lives uh, for all of eternity. And so our prayer uh, for you is that God might use uh, these words to point you and others to Jesus. May God bless you in your journey. Would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, we, we do love you. We thank you that uh, you are a God who knows us completely. You know everything about us. Nothing catches you off guard. There are no secrets. We are laid bare before you. Uh, you know us uh, perfectly uh, and you love us. And so this morning we give thanks for that love. We love you uh, because you have first loved us. Lord, I pray that you would change and alter our affections this morning for you. Help us to love you with all that we are and all that we have. God, we commit our time to you this morning. We thank you so much for what you have done in this place. And we give you thanks for what you will do in the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead. Lord, we pray great things for your namesake. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. It's good to see you this morning. How are we doing? I feel like you guys are kind of quiet today. Is it just me? Am, am I reading into it a little bit? Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Good talk. All right. No, you guys are clearly, clearly on point this morning. Hey, I'm excited about this morning. We've been looking forward to this day for, uh, for quite some time. There are four things that I want to do uh, this morning. Uh, if you would uh, be so kind, I want to share with you a little bit what God has been doing in my heart, in my life over the last couple of years. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how we came to uh, this point today, because this is Vision Sunday. Uh, and then, of course, I want to share with you uh, our vision as a church as we move forward. And then uh, last but certainly not least, I want to share two important announcements as you guys head out this morning. There's a reason uh, I, I wanted to do four things, because I know you guys were expecting me to do three because that's the pastoral thing to do, so you're on your toes, right? So you'll, you'll track with me, you'll listen. First, on a personal note, um, there have been really three things or three streams, I think, that God has been uh, moving in my heart and in my life to bring uh, me and us to the point where we find ourselves today. Um, the, the first thing is that God has um, given me the, the great joy of pastoring uh, at this church for the last 11 years. Um, this church was founded 11 years ago, September uh, 2007. I'll never forget that because the following Saturday is when App State beat Michigan. Uh, and I had people that I didn't even know calling me to rub it in. I'm like, who are you? And they're like, ha-ha. And I'm like, I don't know you, but I don't like you. And so uh, I'll never forget that date 11 years ago. Um, over the course of the last years, I have had the exceeding joy and privilege of being a pastor uh, here in this place. Um, my experience here has been uh, just really sweet. Like God has been gracious to me. He's been gracious to our family. Um, I look back upon the last decade and I'm like, Lord, thank you so much for uh, what you have done and thank you so much uh, for what you're doing. Exceedingly grateful. I have experienced on some level 
uh, beautiful, authentic community uh, here for which I am grateful. But I have also realized over the years um, that my experience is not necessarily uh, everyone else's experience. You guys know that. You have experiences in your life. You have uh, things that happen to you or come your way or stuff that you navigate through. And it it creates kind of a lens in which you see the world through. And and the way that you see things or the experiences that you have uh, are not always the same as the person sitting next to you. Right? And so there's this part of me where God has been going, James, what would it look like for um, the experience you've had uh, to be experienced, not just by some, but uh, by all? And I want that. The second thing that God's been doing in my heart is uh, through a book. A number of years ago, my uncle handed me a book or delivered me a book called The Trellis in the Vine. Uh, And The Trellis in the Vine is a book about ministry. Uh, And it paints a picture of a particular metaphor of a trellis uh, and a vine. Yes, you guys are so sharp. Uh, And and the trellis, the author argues, is the part of ministry that involves uh, programs and process and organizational structure. All the exciting things. And then, said no one ever. And then the, the, the vine is is gospel ministry. It's preaching, it's prayer, it's discipleship. It is people, right? It's people. Just so you know, I have always claimed to be uh, more of a people person than a, a process guy, right? And so admittedly, I oftentimes function that way, so much so that when I think about programs or process or organizational structure. In some ways, I've always seen it as getting in the way of truly loving and caring for people. Um, God's challenged me over the last couple of years um, not to have that perspective. Uh, He has challenged me to think that programs, that process, that organizational structure might actually help us love and care for each other well. Right? And so those things are not an enemy to people. In fact, they are an aid to loving people. Right? So God stirs in my heart this desire to uh, have other people experience what I've experienced. He reminds me that, that church ministry um, is, is not only people work, but in order to love people well, uh, we need programs and process and organizational structure. And then last but certainly not least, God has challenged me with a, a verse from the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. I always laugh when I read that first part because I'm like, I'm going to share this verse with these people and they're going to think I'm a ruthless dictator. Because I'm like, obey your leaders and submit to them. Um, that's true, but that's not the part that's challenged my heart. Right? The, the part that's challenged my heart is the second half of the verse that says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Right? So if I read that uh, correctly, uh, those of us who call this place home, Right? Those of us who say, this is my church home, this is where I come to worship, these are the people that I rub shoulders with, that I'm committed to, if that's you, um, then apparently um, I have a responsibility to care for your soul. That is a big deal. 
right? It's a big deal to me because this passage tells me uh, that I will give an account. Right? I'll give an account like someday, and I don't know exactly uh, how this works or what it looks like, but someday I'm going to stand before the God of the universe and he's going to sh- say to me, James, how did you shepherd my sheep? Right? How did you care for the souls of my people? Were you laissez-faire? Were you, were you laid back? Were you apathetic? Were you like, oh, well, you win some, you lose some? Or, or did you pray for them? Did you invest in them? Did you build into them? Were you on your knees for them? I, I believe, if this verse is true, and I believe that it is, that I have a responsibility um, to do this. And so I really want, I want me and I want us um, to do that exceptionally well. Right, so God stirs in me this desire to, um, to, to long for or desire you to have the experience that I've had because my experience has been good. Um, God, God reminds me or challenges me to, to know that in ministry there is programs and process and organizational structure that when done well um, helps us to love people well. Um, and I'm responsible for your soul, right? So I, I feel the, the weight of that, right? So God's doing that in my heart. And then um, probably a, two and a half years ago, uh, after the service one Sunday, a gentleman comes up to me by the name of Al Newell. And uh, Al has been part of our church family for two and a half years now. I didn't know him, obviously, when I first met him. Uh, I said to Al what oftentimes I say to people when I first meet them. I say, hey, let's, let's grab coffee or let's try to get lunch. Let's spend time together. I would love to hear your story. And so we do that. And I find out that Al has been a, a pastor and an elder. And for 25 plus years, uh, he has trained uh, Christian leaders his, his longing and desire and passion in life is to develop deep-rooted, highly effective volunteer ministries to the worldwide body of Christ. Right? And so I'm listening to his story, and I'm getting to know him, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe, just maybe, uh, he has uh, something uh, to offer us that might be beneficial for us as a church body. I start dreaming to myself, what would it look like um, for someone like that to partner alongside of us uh, so we can move together in the same direction? Uh, eventually, I asked Al to sit down with our elders and with some of our leaders. Uh, we had our staff and elders go uh, to multiple trainings that he uh, put on. And at the end of those trainings, uh, we thought to ourselves, I wonder what it would look like if we had him uh, come and help us in a more formal role. Right? So this is a guy that's been uh, a part of our church for two and a half years. He's grown to love this place. He's part of our church body. And so we asked him to prayerfully uh, consider uh, partnering with us. Uh, he said yes. Uh, and over the course of the last seven, eight months, we have been meeting regularly uh, together. He's met with staff and with elders. He interviewed him and his team, uh, 15 of our staff elders and leaders representing our church body because we wanted uh, him to have an accurate picture of who we are as, uh, as a church. And so he looked over things like our website and our bylaws, all the things that are exciting to you. And, uh, and he looked those over and he, and he helped and walked with us over the course 
of the last seven, eight months as we began to dream about and pray about uh, what God has been doing uh, in this place and what we hope he will do uh, in the days ahead. And so um, with all that being said, I'm, I'm excited to share with you this morning where I believe God is leading us uh, for, God willing, uh, years to come. I want to share with you uh, the vision uh, for this place. A vision has been defined as a mental picture of what could be fueled by a passion that it should be. Right? So thinking about what could be fueled by a passion that it should be. Any vision uh, for the church of God must be grounded uh, in the Word of God. Uh, if vision is manufactured, if it's drummed up, if there's just a guy or two that sneak away to a mountaintop somewhere so they can think about something creative, but God's not in it, guess what? It's never going to last. Right? And so the vision that I want to share with you is rooted and grounded in Scripture, specifically John chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to John chapter 3. Uh, if you have grown up in the church or been a part of the church or watched a football game, you may be familiar with John 3.16. Uh, you've seen the sign before, I'm sure, in the end zone. Uh, after that encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus, there is a story that's told about Jesus and John the Baptist. It's John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. John chapter 3, verse 22 says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with him and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Inan near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. That's like a cool parenthesis for the life of John the Baptist, by the way, right? You're like, oh, he was baptized. Oh, he wasn't in prison yet. That's coming. It's coming. He wasn't there yet. It says in verse 25, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Verse 27 reads, And John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Our, our vision as we uh, gathered together and as we prayed for God to open our eyes, our vision is simply this, to point people to Jesus. We, we just want to point people to Jesus. This was the longing and the heart's cry of John the Baptist. Do you notice the story? Jesus and John are baptizing. Right? Jesus and John are baptizing. Both are doing the work of ministry. And a discussion comes up between the followers of John and a Jew. A discussion is more likely an, an argument, a heated discussion, right? And what they are talking about is the fact that uh, people are going to Jesus to be baptized and not John the Baptist. 
That's what verse 26 says. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. In other words, like John, people are leaving you and going to the other church. Right? Hey, hey, spiritual guru. Hey, just so you know, people are tuning into another podcast. Right? They're, they're following someone else. Right? They're, they're interested in learning from someone else. As a matter of fact, they're leaving you, John, and they're going elsewhere. But I love John's response. Verse 27. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Uh, John points out at least three things here. The first thing that he points out, his response to people leaving him and going to Jesus is that all good things are from God. All that is good is from God. Everything that is good is from God. Every good that we experience as a church family, guess where it's from? It's from God. Everything. Everything. Not human ingenuity, not smarts, not talent, not, hey, we figured it out. It's from God. Right? God did it. God's doing it, and God will do it. New birth, conversion. Guess who does it? God does. Spiritual growth, us being changed into the image of Christ. Guess who does it? God does it, right? Loving others well, guess who does it? Like God does it. Teaching us how to care for one another well, guess who does it? God does it, right? Restored relationships, God does it, right? Children following after Jesus, guess who does it? God does it. That's what John's saying. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. So every good thing that I experience, that you experience, that we experience as a church family, guess where it comes from? It comes from God. God did it. This is what John's response is to a, a, a very uh, real challenge that people are leaving you, they're going somewhere else. John goes, Man, every good thing's from God. It's not about me. That's what John continues on, and he says this, that, that every good thing is from God and that we are not God. Every good thing is from God and we are not God. John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ and you're not the Christ. Oh, this is very important for us to remember. This is very important. We are not the Christ. We are nobody's Savior. We're nobody's Savior. We are limited. We are finite. We are not all-powerful. We're not all-knowing. We can only be at one place at a time. This truth is beautifully freeing. It's beautifully freeing. It sets us free as a people uh, to know that God is God and we are not. So John the Baptist says, he says, listen, man, people, people are going to Jesus. That's a good thing, and every good thing is from God. 
And then John the Baptist says, hey, it's okay if they leave me for him because I'm not the Christ. I am not the Savior of the world. John continues, not not only does every good thing come from God, not only are we not God, uh, but we find our joy in God. John says that I am not uh, the groom. We are not the groom. Verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Right? The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Isn't that, I mean, that's a, a biblical picture of, of the bridegroom, the groom, Jesus, the, the bride, his church. Now, I, I know weddings for us, we kind of joke all the time about who, who gets all the attention at the wedding. Right? The, the bride does, right? So this breaks down a little bit. However, um, at, at a wedding, typically you do not leave after a wedding and go, you know what? That best man was sharp. Man, he looked, he looked good. Did you, see his, did you see his bow tie? People don't do that. Right? Their, their eyes are not fixated on uh, the, the wedding party. Right? They see the groom. Right? Jesus is the groom and his church is the bride. And, and John says that, listen, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I hear his voice and I rejoice greatly. Right? So, so John is, is saying, hey, I'm not the one getting the attention. It's, it's not about me. Uh, the, the lights are not shining down on my space. People aren't taking pictures of me. Right? He's saying, look to the bridegroom. Look to Jesus. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And so the question is, is why? Why is John's joy complete when he pulls back and he says, it's not about me? Why is joy made complete by knowing that we are not Christ? Why is joy made complete knowing that the world doesn't revolve around us? Why is joy made complete in knowing that we are not the star of the show? I think the reason that John uh, says this is because he realizes not only is he a friend of the bridegroom, but he is part of the bride. Right? He is part of the church, and if you are part of the church, uh, then you get Jesus. And to get Jesus is to get joy. And scripture says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so John says, he must increase and I must decrease. Roughly five years ago, when I was sitting down with the elders and interviewing uh, for this position, I asked one of our elders, Jeff Hartsock at the time, hey, what would success look like for me a year from now or three years from now or five years from now? I'll never forget what he said. He said, James, success is when you decrease, when you decrease and Jesus increases. And that's beautiful. John's purpose in life was to point people to Jesus. Uh, my friend Mike told me a story about a year and a half ago about a pastor by the name of Robert Cup. He was a pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in northwest Arkansas. Uh, he would tell people, this pastor would tell people that his role as a pastor was like a baseball coach who would stand on third base and simply wave people home. 
And I love that image. He just would stand on third base and just wave people home. Have you ever seen a third base coach before? Man, they're just like, come on, come on. They're waving runners home. And I thought, you know what? I, I want that to be a metaphor uh, for my life. Right? I want us to be a people who stand on third and just wave people home. Right? And point people uh, to Jesus. And the question then becomes, well, how do we do that? How do we do that? What, is, what does it look like to point people uh, to Jesus? In the next four weeks, we're going to unpack these together. But let me just give you a big picture this morning. And then four weeks, this is your invitation to come back. Uh, we'll unpack this and talk about what it looks like. The, the first way that we point people to Jesus is by encountering the life-transforming power of the Word of God. And when we come to the living and active Word of God in our affections and our attention is pointed uh, to Jesus. And we point people to Jesus by experiencing authentic community. God exists in community and He has called us to experience community. We point people to Jesus by establishing a culture of joyful service to know that when we serve as a people, we do it out of glad and sincere hearts, uh, that it is a joy to serve the God of the universe and his people. Uh, it is not a beatdown. Uh, and our calling is to engage all people, uh, both people here within these walls, people in our community and around uh, the world. Right? So we want to be a people uh, who point people to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, why does that really matter? Right? So what? Or maybe you're thinking, who cares? Like, I've heard these vision statements before. They're just some words on a page. Why does it really matter? Well, let me explain to you why it matters. It matters because currently there are 156 million people uh, in the United States who would count themselves or consider themselves unchurched. Uh, within a 10-mile radius of the West Cabarrus Y, there lives roughly 320,000 people. Uh, we are located in an area expected to experience significant growth over the course of the next uh, 10 years. That means in 2020, there will be roughly 355,000 people who live within a 10-mile radius of this place. In 2025, that number will be 400,000. So 400,000 people within driving distance uh, of this place. Within that same area, only 34% of those people would consider themselves to be evangelical Christians. Right? 34% would consider themselves to be evangelical Christians. Currently, um, only 18%, roughly 2 in 10, would say that it is important to attend uh, religious services. Only eight, two out of ten, eighteen percent. Only fourteen percent uh, would say that their faith is very important to them. And think about that for a moment. Roughly fifteen out of every hundred people would say that that faith is very important to me. Which means that eighty-five percent of the people that live within a ten-mile radius of this place would say that their own faith, that their own personal faith, really isn't that important. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't think that that is okay. It's not okay. Right? It's not okay that 85 out of every 100 people do not know Jesus or do not care about Jesus or do not follow Jesus. Right? That uh, should break our hearts. 
85% of our community arguably uh, needs Jesus. And here's the thing, the other 86%, 85%, we need him too. We need him too. Like when we're young and we're dreaming about taking over the world, right? and the world is our oyster and we dream big dreams, we need Jesus. Right? When we're, we're trying to navigate through life and figure out what we're going to do for a living, how we're going to make an honest day's wage, what God has called us to, we need Jesus. When we're pursuing relationships or when we're trying to love our spouse well, we need Jesus. When we're trying to raise our kids, we're stumbling and bumbling and trying to figure things out, we need Jesus. When we move to a new place and we don't know anyone and it feels like we're starting over, we need Jesus. When we celebrate seasons of God's goodness and grace and when we suffer through sickness, we need Jesus. As we draw closer uh, to the finish line of life, we need Jesus. We're desperate for Him. He is our only hope. Because he is our only hope, it is our longing and passion and desire uh, to point people to him. I want to share with you two uh, important announcements that impact us as a church body. Uh, The first has to do uh, with our name. Uh, Names are important. Eleven years ago, uh, at our birth, uh, we were given a name, uh, Renaissance Bible Church. Uh, It took me two years to learn how to spell it, uh, but I learned early on that Renaissance uh, means rebirth. Our first video was shot uh, at Renaissance Square, right right by the Renaissance Festival. We thought in our minds perhaps that maybe God uh, would send us in that uh, direction. Uh, Over the years, our name uh, has served us well. But a few years ago, I began thinking and praying, and I wondered out loud if our name clearly communicated who we were as a church and who we wanted uh, to be. You see, a name gives definition. A name tells a story. A name uh, communicates identity. And as a church, we want to do the same. We want something that will reflect who we are and articulate our vision uh, to point people to Jesus. And so with that in mind, uh, Renaissance Bible Church is officially becoming a Christ Point Church. Christ Point Church. Um, Say it a few times out loud. I promise uh, it'll, it'll rub off on you. You'll grow to love it as I have. Now, I know not everyone, uh, not everyone, not all people love all names. You've had this experience before. You've heard a name and gone, kind of turned your head a little bit and gone, huh, interesting. I know that not everyone loves a name when they first hear it. Uh, My brother-in-law loves golf. Uh, Joel is a golfer. He plays golf. He watches golf. He follows golf. He named his first son Ryder. After a golf tournament, the Ryder Cup. 
Uh, recently, when his wife was expecting their second child, they had uh, three names in mind to call their son. Uh, one was Jack, one was Palmer, and one was Rocco. Now, you'll never guess what they went with. They went with Rocco. Now, some people hear that and they go, interesting. That's interesting. I think it's exceptional. I love the name. His son's name uh, reflects his father's passion. His son's name reflects his father's passion. Our father is passionate about his son, and we want our name to reflect his passion. Admittedly, a lot goes into uh, changing a name. Over the next few weeks, uh, you'll gradually see some of those changes. Uh, the signs that you see outside uh, will change. Our, our website uh, will, will look a little different uh, when you visit. Some of the communication pieces uh, that we send out will include our new name uh, and our new logo. Um, as we are making these changes, I simply ask uh, that you please excuse our dust. And this, is a, this is a process. It doesn't uh, happen overnight. Please know uh, that we will be under uh, construction. It's important to remember that what made Renaissance, Renaissance was, was not the name, but the people. It was you. And what will make Christ point, Christ point, is you. Uh, you are the body of Christ. We uh, are his bride. What will define us as a church is not letters on a sign. What will define us as a church is in how we point people uh, to our Savior. And we want to do that by God's grace really well. Uh, secondly, uh, we have been praying about our next steps as it pertains to space. Uh, we have been at this why uh, for the last 10 years, and we have enjoyed a great relationship uh, with the why over that time. As we began to go through this process, we uh, asked God to give us clarity to determine our next steps, whether this was going to be a long-term home for us or whether God had something else uh, in mind. Uh, three weeks ago, uh, just three short days before we rolled out our vision to our volunteers and our leaders, we were informed uh, by the why of their desire to move in another direction. And so we said, Lord, thank you uh, for the clarity uh, that you have given to us. Right? That's clarity. That's clarity. We're excited about our next steps. Uh, we believe that God has something good for us. Uh, the why has graciously extended to us a year uh, to find a place to call home. Uh, we've already contacted a, a couple of commercial real estate agents as we uh, think about who's best uh, to work with. Uh, if you have suggestions, please uh, let me uh, know. Um, one, one word as we start thinking and dreaming about our next steps, but while we stay here for the foreseeable future, um, uh, please treat this place and the people here uh, as uh, your home. Um, as we think about interacting with the Y community, with this community, we want to function uh, like we're going to be here for 10 years 
uh, even though we only may be here for 10 months. I think that honors Jesus, uh, and I, I think it's a step of gratitude to tell them, we love you, we care for you, and we want to come alongside of you for as long as we're here and bless you. And that's what followers of Jesus do. A couple of weeks ago, I was sent an email from a friend who was given a verse by uh, a prayer partner that he has in his life. Uh, the verse is from 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 10. It reads, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. He goes on to say, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Man, I, I love thinking about God's faithfulness to his people. The promise that was given to the Israelites where God said, hey, I'm going to give you a place. It just reminded me that God cares and loves his people. Like he's been good to us and I think he will continue to be good to us uh, in the days ahead. God has a perfect track record of faithfulness. Uh, there uh, is, is much to be done in the days ahead. Uh, but we are so excited and hopeful uh, for what is in store for us. I was reminded of the, the words of English missionary to China and India and Africa, C.T. Studd, who wrote, uh, to human reason it sounds ridiculous, but faith laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. Right? It shall be done. And so that is our trumpet a cry in the days ahead. It shall, by the grace of God, be done. Would you pray with me? Father God, we give you uh, thanks for uh, your goodness and your graciousness to us. I uh, thank you for what you have done uh, in and through us over the course of the last 11 years. God, would you be gracious to us in the days ahead? I pray that this new chapter would only be a beginning for Christ's point. Lord, would you continue to stir in our hearts an affection for Jesus? Would you use us to point other people uh, to him? God, we need your help in doing that, and so we ask for it now. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.